1964 New York World's Fair, celebrating man's achievement on a shrinking globe in an expanding universe. I'm Paul Zoll, and these podcasts will be regular updates from the worlds of literature, popular culture, and the old religion, that's Bob Dylan's phrase, in relation to some of life's everyday problems, such as anger, loss, and bewilderment. Most of my podcasts will begin with a text, sometimes from a novel, I Love Possessed, sometimes from a movie, The Bride of Frankenstein, sometimes from a song, Telstar, for example, sometimes from the Bible, Perfect Love Casts Out Fear, sometimes from a TV show, Tonight's story will be a thriller. Each week, I hope to offer you something different, something entertaining, something even, well, blood-transfusing. I've been trying to understand what has gone wrong with preaching and with the whole communications medium, at least in, in the church, and the same things that have gone wrong with it in the, uh, in the uh, pulpit uh, go wrong with it on CNN and uh, in uh, advertising and in any kind of personal communication, let alone sort of group-to-group communication. You know when something isn't communicating when people don't respond. You, you, uh, you have to ask yourself, if things aren't going well, what is, what is really, there must be something in the communicator that's not quite right. And what uh, I've attempted to do after both sort of decades of trying to speak to people in such a way that they would uh, be touched or uh, respond or engage with uh, great ideas um, about the human condition and the human losses that we all face in, a, in an attempt to to help to 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 better people's lives uh, uh, you know you 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 never know if you're doing it you never know if you're fully right about it you certainly are always susceptible to self-righteousness and patronizing and who are you to say what's right or wrong but this you know that suffering is awful and that judgment guilt and uh, mourning are enormously defeating parts of the human existence and create just carnage of withdrawal and depression and anger in in bitterness in people's lives. So any uh, human being on this earth would have an investment or an interest in some uh, sympathetic, understanding, wise word that might help him or her to sort of understand what's going on in an otherwise bewildering life. Well, I've been drawn in recent years to some of the uh, contributions that the American novelist Jack Kerouac made uh, in the 50s during his own period of emotional and thus artistic breakthrough uh, after he'd written On the Road and immediately after he wrote a short uh, novel called The Subterraneans. This novel impressed uh, Allen Ginsberg and William S. Burroughs to the extent that they pressed Kerouac to put on paper the sort of governing... Uh, uh, 
uh, principles internally, the sort of internal combustion that had uh, uh, given him a, a platform to to write this amazing book in a very short, uh, a really um, awesomely short period of time, three days in fact. Now, he wrote, Kerouac did, uh, sometime before the fall of 1953, 30 list of essentials. And these uh, principles of looking at the writer, him or herself, looking at the preacher, looking at the communicator first, looking at you as the first uh, essence of what it is to be able to speak to him or her or them, look at yourself first. He said in a literary beat generation way, a contemporary way in some ways, even now, what many wise people have always thought, that the key word of communication is to know yourself. And you have to know yourself before you know other people. They pressed James Gould Cousins, the neglected American writer about whom I speak sometimes. They uh, pressed him, uh, look, if you're such a hermit because he was a sort of like a J.D. Salinger type. He, he didn't like people. He, he completely retired from the world. Uh, they, but at his, at his prime, in his, in his 30s and 40s, they said, look, if you, don't like, uh, if you don't spend any time with other people and you don't live in a social world, how can, you, uh, how can you write these very perceptive, large novels about many people? And his answer was quite interesting. He said, well, I figure that if I know myself first, then I'll know the other guy. Well, I myself believe that Cousins was right about that. If you know yourself first, then you may be able to know the other guy. And uh, uh, so that's really the burden of these rather quirky expressions that Kerouac gives us. And I want to talk about the rest of them, finish up the key ones. There are 30, and I'm only talking about seven or eight because they repeat themselves, and some of them are just subsets of others. I'm trying to focus on the ones that I think are the, the, the signal ones, the, the marker points. And I'd like to talk to you um, about these and then say something about the sermon illustration itself as the the real governing that the sermon illustration or the illustrative the 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 symbolic substitutive illustration of a of a situation provided it is uh, written done naturally without exaggeration and it's real but it is also carried off with feeling and conviction that is often the contact point in a message i'm not saying the text of the scripture is not important i'm not saying that the profundity of many of the words of saint paul or of our lord himself or of any number of the psalmist uh, uh, king david that these do not have uh, extraordinary enduring, lapidary power, and they do. But I'm also saying without the meaningful inner participation of a fully understanding real person up there, they will simply be statements which may or may not be communicating to the suffering William Blake, help me, help me person who's actually sitting there in the pew or the chair. So we uh, start again with some of these fun and uh, rather um, uh, eccentric statements of Kerouac. Uh, number 20 of his list of essentials, believe in the holy contour of life. Now, that sounds a little, you know, part of me says, ah, gag me with a spoon, holy contour. You know, it sounds a little New Agey. I mean, for somebody who's not in the New Age, someone who sort of feels a little bit put off by jargon or can't, that sounds a little bit, um, you know, uh, stereotyped. Uh, but it's in fact, um, what is he really meaning? 
Believe in the holy contour of life. Believe that the life you're leading is, is sacred. That, that life is not something to be, to be looked at clinically, but it is to be seen as something in which God is speaking, the holy, whatever you want to use, the, the, um, the ultimate, the eternal. There's something going on here. And don't um, see life as something to be corrected necessarily or um, uh, twisted around like a balloon. You know when you make a balloon you, uh, for little children and you make a balloon in the shape of a dachshund, you know? Uh, that's not uh, giving much space to the balloon. That's doing something that the balloon was actually not meant to do. The balloon was meant to be a round, beautiful, large thing with air inside it, and you're twisting it all around. Well, um, the holy contour of life simply means, look, what's going on around me is, uh, this is the eternal now. This is the present. Again, it's hard to say it without sounding a little kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, today is the first day of the rest of your life-ish, you know, I mean, a little bit kind of, kind of 70s and mellow, you know, uh, listen to the warm, you know, uh, what was that movie Joanna with Rod McEwen always talking in the background from 1970? I happen to love the movie Joanna. I think it's fabulous, although totally off the wall lame. And for that reason, fabulous. But believe in the holy contour of life simply means don't uh, wipe your feet on the person that you are. Um, th th this is to be believed in and to be affirmed and, uh, and rather than uh, averted f from. And in doing so, you'll learn something. something. Something will come that may, in fact, broaden and deepen. This is like when he said earlier, you need to be submissive to everything, open listening. Now, um, he said something right along this line in number 24, where he says, No fear or shame in the dignity of your experience, language, and knowledge. Well, this is grace. He's saying, um, don't fear what you've experienced and the language in which you've experienced and through which you've experienced and with which you have experienced it and the knowledge that you have had of your everyday living. Uh, fear and shame... This, again, has a slightly 70s feeling to it, but he wrote it in 51 or 52, maybe 53 at the latest. No fear or shame in the dignity of your experience. Uh, this is a little bit of Thomas Carlyle here, if you're interested in Thomas Carlyle. And you do well if you go back and read Carlyle's really great breakthrough, his, his uh, On the Road. Uh, quite different, though, uh, but something uh, of an emotional breakthrough for Thomas Carlyle in the early Victorian era, Sartor Resartus, which is a picture of the human life. It is a picture of the what we learn from our own life what lessons we derive from our own experience. And this is really um, what I uh, uh, want to say that he's saying here when he says, Don't, no fear or shame in the dignity of your experience, language, and knowledge. This means that you can, in other words, draw upon your life as a student in college. All the different terrible things. I was talking to someone the other day, and uh, he was saying that someone he loves uh, has very bad associations with certain songs by the doors. And I, I said, well, gosh, that's interesting. And the person said, well, there were some experiences in college that are connected with certain songs of the doors that uh, left a very bad taste and, and really a wounding experience. And I can, we all can imagine what kind of experiences those might have been. But that's, in fact, if you flee from those things, if you flee from an experience of, of, uh, that you may have had, and I'm just like the person in question here, uh, you know, uh, Baby Light My Fire uh, may have been playing 
during a time of uh, really uh, acted out terribleness or real confusion or tremendous uh, um, uh, sadness uh, or frustration or uh, something much worse or drunken uh, rage or other things. And so, um, but that's in fact what I need to draw on. I need to draw as a speaker, as a preacher, as a communicator on those kinds of terrible and sometimes uh, I really wish they hadn't happened, but that kind of defeat and every adolescent, male or female, can simply list on a, uh, on a uh, bracelet you can list on a bracelet the series of defeats in your experience, language, and knowledge for which Kerouac enjoins us not to have fear or shame. This is very powerful because the moment you open yourself up to the very things about your life that really cracked you up and are just terribly upsetting and embarrassing to you now, looking back upon it, and it's not just college we're talking about. We're talking about a million possibilities here, as many possibilities as there are people times nine. And as long as you then no longer feel ashamed, but can say, look, this is who I was. I, I blew it big time, but I, this is who I was. This is what I was given. This is how I dealt with the hand that was dealt. And I didn't do it very well, but there it is. You're going to be able to speak out of that, as he said earlier, accept loss forever. Number 19. No fear or shame. And this is what uh, clergy speakers have to do. They have to, it doesn't mean you get up and you tell the congregation what happened to you in such and such a year while listening to a baby light my fire. Uh, the, the, the time to hesitate is true, you know, come on, baby. I mean, that's not, the point is you're in touch with what happened then, which is something that in its own pain is something that I can almost promise you has happened to 80% of the people who you're speaking to. And the other 20%, something different but equally painful has happened. So when you can speak out of that, you're going to be able to contact the 80% and even, believe it or not, the 20%, because no one is a stranger to pain. Well, I'll say uh, one uh, uh, final uh, thing uh, where he uh, comes to this. Then I'll, I'll uh, add a comment from the later form of this and then uh, talk for a moment about the illustration. Number 28, Kerouac wrote this. Composing, wild, undisciplined, pure, coming in from under, crazier the better. Composing, wild, undisciplined, pure, coming in from under, crazier the better. Well, I immediately think of that song by the Allman Brothers, Crazy Love. Um, very good song on a not-so-great album. I think, it's called, uh, I think it's called Crazy Love. But no, no, it's something else. Enlightened Rogues, that's it. Enlightened Rogues by the Allman Brothers. But whatever I think about the Allman Brothers, and you'll have your views about that, wild, undisciplined, pure, coming in from under, crazier the better. What he's saying there is, let it rip. Now, there are some limits in the pulpit. There are some limits that are appropriate. There's some things you're not going to say. There's some material you're going to leave out, and you have to do it. And that's simply called control and reticence. And there's nothing wrong about not saying certain things. There's nothing wrong about self-control. But there is something very right about letting coming in from under, being in touch with what's under. If you, if you keep it um, if you keep it suppressed, you're going to be one of these people, if you're a communicator, a politician, running for the school board, running for the judgeship, or uh, running for uh, the rectorship of a popular rector, you're going to be someone, and people can see a mile away, even if they don't actually admit it to themselves, that you're fooling them. 
that it's not true, that this false smile, this always animated, welcoming life, it's, it, it works about 80% of the time, but if you are always kind of afraid of what's coming in from under and suppressing it and keeping it at arm's length, it's going to get you. It's, you you're going to have a breakdown. There's going to be a vulnerability and something is going to happen, some person, some influence, some situation you're going to get into, and the false self is going to collapse. In some way or another, it's the shield is going to come down, and you're going to have some terrible outburst of suppressed material. It happens all the time in clergy in all sorts of ways, one way most characteristically among male clergy, and therefore it's really usually a function of suppression. So when he says coming in from under, crazier the better, that doesn't mean you get up and sing, you know, um, the Lemon Song by the Led Zeppelin, you know, something I've been tempted to do. It doesn't mean you do that. It means you, you, uh, you're in touch with what's underneath and you are free enough to sort of be yourself. People will often say to me when I'm really able, I'm cooking apparently, they'll say, Paul, um, you were cooking today. You were letting it rip. You were being yourself. And I know the difference, by the way. As I say, it doesn't mean I'm going to talk about the lemon song by Led Zeppelin, but I am going to, uh, I know when I'm, when I'm able to be myself. I know when the inner angers and the inner bitternesses and the inner problems, instead of being suppressed and just getting worse, are actually sort of being abreacted and merged and assimilated. What did Dr. Frank Lake used to call it in England, long dead? The purpose of living is to assimilate the negativity. And when that which is coming in from under, crazier the better, is assimilated by my conscious monitoring self, something comes together and melds, to use another one of those awful 70s words that are sort of true, something comes together and like the blob or an amoeba, amoeba and it creates something that is true coming in from under. Now, I want to uh, uh, finish Kerouac's uh, uh, version of this uh, from his slightly later statement, which I've mentioned before, called Essentials of Spontaneous Prose, when he puts in a kind of uh, more um, stabilized verbal form the central fact of what is being communicated by a free and, in the best sense, uninhibited, integrated, assimilated person person, the preacher or speaker or artist, that somehow is able to speak to others. And I'm talking about Toulouse-Lautrec here and Andrei Tarkovsky, to name very high, high, high things, and Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, to name low, 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 but wonderful things. I'm talking about communication any way you want to put it, any way you want to see it, male, female, man on man, friend to friend, child to parent, brother to sister, colleague to colleague, you name it, up, down, all around, over, under, sideways, down. I'm talking about the, the what is really happening in successful communication, which I want to say is the potential hope even for those who are attempting to preach their way to a new reality and attractiveness and appeal in current contemporary life. And it's in his passage and, uh, called Scoping, and I want to read it. Blow as deep as you want. Write as deeply, fish as far down as you want, satisfy yourself first, then reader cannot fail to receive telepathic shock and meaning excitement by same laws operating in his own human mind. Now that's the key. Satisfy yourself first. This is on page 484 of the Jack Kerouac Portable by Ann Charters, uh, editor. Satisfy yourself first, 
then reader cannot fail to receive telepathic shock and meaning excitement by same laws operating in his own human mind. Now, that is in a trice what I'm talking about. If you, as Cousin said in another context, if you are satisfied that this is you, that you have really blown deeply, you fished down into your real self, not your ecclesiastical self, not your cerebral self, uh, not your moralized, defeated self and your frozen self, not your suppressed self, your real dreamland, deep personal self, which is quite complex and has a number of Marianas trenches of the human heart. It's not all one thing, but there's quite a lot there. But satisfy yourself, fish as deeply down as you want, blow as deep as you want. Then what happens? The reader, translate listener, translate visitor to church for the first time, translate regular communicant, translate seeker after hope, translate sufferer who's looking for help, who, who, who cannot really imagine that there is any help, but he's desperate enough to even go to a local church or parish or listen to what you personally might have to say. Then, says Kerouac, reader cannot fail to receive telepathic shock and meaning excitement. In other words, when someone hears you speak out of your own deepest heart and loss accepted forever and where you really are, Hopeful, beloved, but also profoundly confidence destroyed and defeated and yelping for an answer. He, she will receive a telepathic shock. You mean he understands me? Meaning excitement. He, he, this, this preacher, this speaker knows about people like me. You'll notice the people come forward to you often and they'll say, you, you must have been listening to me. How did you know that I was thinking about that? It's funny you, you should have said that, Rector. Mr. Zoll, it's funny you should have said that today because that's the very thing I've been dealing with. Funny about that. I've been asking myself the same question. This is the kind of thing, that's when you know you're, not when they say good sermon. That really means bad sermon. They're just saying it to be polite. They wouldn't say it if they thought it. They, they, they're saying it because they're thinking something else, so they're covering when they say good sermon, Mr. So-and-so, Father Paul. That's not what it is. Father Paul, are you out of your mind? Anyway, um, reader cannot fail to receive telepathic shock and meaning excitement. Notice, by same laws operating in his own human mind. When they say, you were speaking to me, they did not know coming to church, save that they were suffering and having perceived problems. They did not know that they were going to have a telepathic shock, as it were, in which the own laws operating inside them of hopeless, bereft, desolated pain we're going to be addressed telepathically, so to speak, like a dog whistle, you know, it's being blown, but you can't hear it, but the dog hears it. The person inside the listener heard the person inside you because you had archaeologically excavated deeply enough down that you would touch that part of you which lives in them. Remember, deep down, we're all the same, male, female, deprived, privileged, Hispanic, Anglo, black, white, Ivy League, State University, um, teacher, plumber, salesman, soldier, pastor, trooper, saint, villain, Madoff, the whole nine yards. If you go to the deep level of who you are, 
the same laws operate in his human mind. And so Kerouac gives to us the final, you might say, the real theoretical and practical answer to what makes a good communication, a good video, a good sermon. And if you want to see a great video, go to YouTube and see the video, I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. And the people who made that video back in the 80s, it's, you know, the song is a war horse now. But when you see it, it's not the song and it's, you know, it looks like it's about welders and people working on high up building construction projects in New York. And then all of a sudden there's a gospel choir and a lot of hands are coming together and shaking. But for some reason, the makers of this video, coupled by that extraordinarily powerful, beautiful song by Foreigner, upon whom later Journey would stand, uh, that song um, is uh, that video together, the images and the music and the words together are exactly what Kerouac is talking about here. The reader, the listener, the viewer of the VH1 or just of the video couldn't fail to receive telepathic shock and meaning excitement by the same laws operating in his own human mind. Now, um, the, uh, the, um, uh, Creeley, uh, later, a poet with whom Kerouac had a long-term and somewhat mixed relationship, said that uh, ultimately uh, Kerouac had discovered what it was to mean to be with it, as jazz was, not about it, as authoritarian criticism then argued. Now, that's interesting. Uh, Kerouac, according to Creeley, with his writing, had learned how to be with it. And we, we now know, you know, hey, you're with it, you know. Uh, the, the, now it's kind, of a, it's kind of a cliche about the beatnik types. But this is good. Kerouac learned how to be, quote, with it, as jazz was, not about it, as authoritarian writing and criticism then argued. I would say that the preacher is someone who is with you because he and you are the same. She and you have the same ultimate drives if you go down underneath gender, race, ethnicity, conceptions, ideas, underneath it, even though men are from Mars and women are from Venus and all those things, underneath it, there is in Christ uh, no male nor female, bond nor free, boss, master or servant. That's Depeche Mode. Everybody is ultimately the same. And so at that level, you might call it that archaeological stratum. The preacher, the communicator is with you, not about you. And sermons which are talks and lectures on long exposited or, or uh, laid out divided texts are about something. They're not with you. And sermons that are, are hortatory and give you instructions in some form or another, even if it sounds very nice, are really about you, you become an object for a command which you may or may not and probably not be able to um, uh, obey. But if they're with you, then you are talking one-to-one -one and you can get somewhere. Now, I'll conclude with just a few words. Uh, this is the end of two podcasts about preaching. I'll do more later on if there's a desire or demand from whoever's listening to this and whoever might think it's uh, useful at all. But right now I wanted to do these two before moving on to some of the uh, lessons to be learned from uh, human nature in the very, uh, in my view, important and undervalued novel by James Gould Cousins from 1957, entitled By Love Possessed. <clears throat> but I want to finish with just a few words about illustrations. One of the 
things that I always uh, was struck by when people would come to talk to me about uh, a sermon. It almost always was, uh, you know, Paul, what I heard, I heard you had understood my own experience by virtue of an illustration you used, or you put yourself out there so emotionally, so personally that I uh, was, uh, I felt that you, you knew about me. You knew my life. You were sympathetic because you were obviously sympathetic with yourself. The very fact that you talked about depression or you talked about anguish and anger in yourself or bitterness or failures of various kinds. I felt I was connected with you through that. I felt one with you in your own experience of brokenness, and I felt addressed by personally felt real illustrations of real people. Well, um, I wanted them to say something different. I wanted them to say, thank you for bringing, uh, making alive uh, Romans 7 verse 24, or uh, uh, Romans 3 verse 28, or the Matthew 5 uh, 21. I wanted, I wanted them to say, thank you for building up my Christian faith and teaching me about this great, great uh, bequest of New Testament Christology and claims about the uniqueness of Christ and how it affects my own deconstruction of my other so-called unique false gods. I wanted all that kind of thing, and that's not what I ever really heard. I heard a lot of bogus stuff about good sermons, but those people didn't come back and they looked like dead people as they zombie land, you know. Remember that headline in The Onion recently? I loved it. Front headline. Survey shows that Pittsburgh unprepared for full-scale zombie attack. Well, anyway, um, the uh, zombies would say this, and I, uh, it was hard to get through to people, and you just never know what's going to break through the defense, like the Death Star in, uh, what is it, Star Wars 1, you know, the original Star Wars. You never know uh, what's going to be the actual point of contact. But what was the point of contact in practice was the illustration. It was two things. It was what people thought to be uh, the preacher's understanding of their own sad case. But that usually came in the form of an illustration. Uh, some illustration that touched them. It's Paul, when you talked about such and such, or when you talked about that guy who, and I always disguised it. Illustrations have to be disguised. Male needs to be turned into female and vice versa. Old person needs to be turned into middle-aged person. Uh, uh, an actress has to be turned into a musician. Uh, a uh, uh, father, to father to daughter has to be in, turned into mother to son. You have to never, ever touch on the sacred territory of confidence in which someone feels that you're talking about them literally. You're talking about them in a general, broad representation, but you have to always change the particulars so no one can say, even if you are talking about someone in the congregation, which you often are, it has to be so changed that it's the principle of the pastoral encounter that's connecting, not the actual concrete particularity of the pastoral encounter. Are you with me there? But, and also you can't say, well, you know, the other day I my little boy got up and he said so-and-so, and wasn't that charming? And doesn't that show us a little bit about the love of God and how wayward we are as people? You don't want to do that because your kids will never forgive you. Your kids will never forgive you for isolating them and embarrassing them, what's commonly called shame, humiliating them in a pulpit illustration, which is almost always something that makes people, quote, laugh, you know, like Reader's Digest humor in uniform, you know, a little anecdote. You never want to do that. And you never want to talk about yourself in such a way that you're really just saying you went to Harvard. Or you're really just saying you're really a great guy or a wise fellow. Nevertheless, if you're in touch, if you're blowing deep, if you're blowing deep inside yourself, all sorts of illustrative material is going to make its way to connect with your life. All sorts of, uh, if you're blowing deep, almost anything that happens to you 
today, automobile maintenance, getting gas at the car, having your PIN number uh, uh, disallowed when you're trying to buy something at, uh, at a grocery store, uh, any of the million normal encounters, having your cell phone fall into the loo, you know what I mean, uh, or, or losing your keys, uh, um, you name it, uh, all being stopped by a policeman for speeding or not speeding, all these things are useful because they, they, you, you, they're where you really live. The emotional reactions to being stopped by a cop is very useful in a sermon. I was once terribly uh, depressed after Christmas, and I was assigned to preach the Sunday after Christmas, which sounds like a bummer, but it's what came up was I was assigned. And I was really very, you know, post-Christmas blues. And uh, I was walking up Fourth Avenue in New York City, and uh, I said, you know, I can't preach this Sunday. I'm a mess. And then I sort of, this insight came. We call it a word from the Lord. Insight said... That's what you preach about. Don't preach about it. Preach from it. If you preach about it, then you're turning it into an object. But if you preach from it, you'll probably connect with other people who are also having post-Christmas blues. And so it was. It was one of the early sermons that I was given to speak that seemed to have a very real effect on the real people who were coming after Christmas, all with various disappointments. And I'm talking about big family disappointments. Now, um, that's what the illustration, it is vital. Now, uh, a, a theological part of you may be saying, but isn't that to subjectivize the gospel? Isn't that overly subjectifying? If you're saying that, if you're saying it all depends on your illustrations, what about the word? Well, I understand what you're saying, and I know that the word of grace and truth and love, uh, God uh, uh, shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, these are the great affirmations of universal placement of struggling people in a bewildering and uh, malignant and certainly malignant seeming and feeling universe. And I want to draw those in and I will draw them in. But I'm also aware that for some reason, empirically, you can make those statements till you're blue in the face, even if they're inspired, First John 4, inspired. And very rarely will they actually break through the average person because they somehow have a carapace of, uh, of, of cultural associations and hardness that it's very hard to get through. What you want to do is is be like the that that Luke Skywalker little little uh, fighter plane that that found the spot of vulnerability in the in the great adversary the Death Star and got that torpedo right in there. Now the reason you can do that with the illustration is because that's where your your the play's the thing where in all catch the conscience of the king. Words from Hamlet. That's where you're going to find the real heart place where the, the listener is open. And that's partly true because that's where you're open. If you know where you are vulnerable and open and uh, uh, raw, that wound, you got to blow deep, you got to fish deep, to quote Kerouac, to get there. If you find that real rawness, which usually is reacts like a viper, like a cobra when it's stung, but if you find that from another person who has the same thing, it's like that deep speaking unto deep 
The Spirit sighs for us in sighs too deep for words. Paul talked about this in Romans 8, and it's very powerful. The Spirit worketh through the sigh of the human helplessness that is too deep for words. And this is where the blowing deep into the preacher or the communicator or the artist is the first stage to then find the place in the other. Well, these are a few thoughts about illustrations and the ultimate theoretical and personal and experiential sort of foreground of preaching and communicating as I see it. And now we're going to end that uh, looking forward in the next um, uh, uh, podcast to a uh, discussion of uh, reality, a discussion of reality as opposed to illusion in human relationships. And our text will be uh, the um, long and uh, very uh, Baroque novel of Cousins that was written in 57, criticized in 58, sold hundreds of thousands of copies, and then, for sad and important reasons, sunk like a lead balloon, notwithstanding its wisdom that continues to uh, uh, impress and strike uh, hardy readers. And I'm going to talk about reality and self-deception in the next podcast. Thank you very much, and God bless. 